This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. We will also explore threats to meaningful engagement in sport and movement culture practices and ask questions about what we can learn about the human condition through our involvement in sport. The guests are leading scholars in human and social sciences of sport who will share their explorations in a scholarly as well as a personal context. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Welcome everyone. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I probably cannot overemphasize how much I look forward to our discussion today. In what follows, we will be thinking about what kind of being is the sporting human being, what kind of world-making takes place through sports, and what kind of thing is meaning, among other things. Our starting point is the philosophy of Martin Heidegger, but as we will hear, Our guest today has made some important original contributions in extending Heideggerian thought and developing his own philosophy of the sporting human being. I could use the next half an hour just to list all the achievements of our guest, but since I believe we all benefit most from hearing what he has to say, I will keep it fairly brief. He's a professor emeritus who has been a foundational figure in developing and growing the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences to a world-leading sports science research university it is today. He has also served as a rector of the school from 1999 to 2005, before Sigmund Lowland took over. So I would say that sports philosophy has been very well represented as Eniho, as we know it by its Norwegian name. Our guest has published very extensively over several decades on philosophical questions in sport, but he has also conducted empirical research using more psychological and sociological approaches and has done some very interesting interdisciplinary work as well. So welcome, Professor Gunnar Breivik, and I'm really honored to have you in this podcast today. Thank you. I think we could spend the whole day talking about kind of the wide variety of work and and the philosophical kind of questions that you have addressed in sport. But I think what would interest me the most, and I think hopefully also the listeners, would be to look at your how you are using existential philosophy, and especially the work of Heidegger, to understand the sporting human being. You've been very productive in, in recent years, using Heidegger's thought, of course, earlier as well, But I think the recent paper that you wrote in Sport, Ethics and Philosophy with the title The Sporting Exploration of the World Toward a Fundamental Ontology of the Sporting Human Being 
that paper would be a very nice starting point for our discussion today. Would you maybe first provide us thoughts and, and kind of an outline of Heidegger's idea of being in the world and, and Heidegger's project in, in being and time? So what kind of being is, is the human being or Dasein for Heidegger? Well, Heidegger's uh, approach uh, is in many ways different from uh, uh, a lot of, of Western uh, philosophy the last uh, 500 years, especially the analytic philosophers uh, have started with uh, sort of looking at the uh, human individual being and uh, focused on uh, consciousness and how we uh, deliberately try to figure out and think about our situation in the world. And that means that uh, we focus on subjects, individuals, uh, as opposed to an environment on, and the different objects in the world. And we have this split between subject and object. So the first thing that I think is very important with Heidegger, which is one of the big advantages of his way of thinking, is that he... He looks at the human being as involved from the start with the world. There is not this uh, schism, this uh, division between ourselves and the world, but we are immersed in the world, as he calls it. It's, we are uh, transcending from the start towards the world. So we are being in the world in the sense that it's impossible to separate us uh, from the world, uh, neither in thinking nor in uh, uh, behaving, uh, we are uh, being in the world. And this is not a sort of uh, conscious uh, or uh, mental thing, but it's a bodily thing, uh, which is also probably wrong to say because uh, I wouldn't uh, admit that, uh, that we need to separate uh, our minds from our bodies. But we are as total human beings uh, immersed in the world, transcending towards the world. And uh, this intimate contact with our surroundings, with, with um, uh, our situations, our contexts, which is a big advantage, I think, in, in Heidegger's thinking, because uh, he is then able to overcome the individualism and our separateness from the environment. And I think this is very fruitful in sport because in sports we deal with different kinds of surroundings depending on the sport. And we are all the time in sports uh, in a situation, in a context uh, with a specific setup of rules and game situations. So the being in the world fits his this idea fits very well to uh, the exploration and the study of uh, how we we are dealing in sport contexts you use in your article the term world making in sport or mm. world making through sport what mm. what would that mean well heidegger defines or thinks about world as not as sort of uh, the natural scientific uh, environment but world is uh, the sort of, not the uh, deliberate construction, but it is nevertheless the world 
as it is uh, constructed and uh, it is uh, experienced uh, by uh, our human uh, way of uh, being situated in a context, in a situation. So we talk about, for instance, the work world, the sports world, and so on. And that means that human beings uh, are able to sort of uh, live in more uh, specific contexts like sports. And uh, a world is for Heidegger something that has sort of, say, a horizon, but there is also an interconnectedness where things and situations uh, are uh, fitting together in structures, uh, and uh, this uh, gives uh, opportunities for meanings of various kinds. So the world is sort of the meaning world. It's uh, a world uh, not deliberately created, but so to say we have uh, found it and we are living in it, but it's uh, not the, the sort of natural world, but it's our human world as I was thinking about. So so in sport we have various ways of... of uh, uh, sort of say shaping and uh, expanding uh, on earlier models to develop new kind of, of sporting worlds and I've always been interested in how human beings explore new context situations and thus create new sport situations and even quite new sports like we have seen since the 1970s and 80s, we have all the new lifestyle sports, the extreme sports, and so on. And in other, in other areas too, we are all the time uh, expanding, uh, sort of, we are casting new sport worlds. And, and in your article, you are then kind of developing this fourfold. So there would be these four constitutive relations that that you are developing to understand the ontological structure of different sports. So maybe mm. we should move into these four four relations. Yeah. I, I was starting from, from Heidegger uh, and his uh, work in Being and Time. Uh, but I, I have found that uh, there are some things that are missing in Heidegger. Uh, here, because uh, Heidegger is focusing a lot on uh, the Dasein and how uh, we are concerned about our, our own situation in the world. Uh, he uses the German word Sorge, the concern in, Engl in English. So we have this relation to ourselves and our own lives, we are able to take care and reflect and behave according to how we self-reflectively, um, not only uh, deliberate, not only consciously, but also unconsciously, we take care of our own situation in the world. And he's also uh, sort of dealing with the environment in the sense of this uh, world, the, the, the human world around us. Uh, but he's not much interested in uh, the situation that uh, Buber uh, depicted the I-U situation. 
So starting from Heidegger, I, I sort of uh, ended up with four uh, dimensions. It's the, the dimension characterized when, when I uh, am in a situation where I'm taking care of myself, the I-me situation. And then I have the situation uh, that we have the situation where I look uh, into the eyes of uh, another person. It's the IU situation. What's unique here is that there is uh, an immediate response. There is an interaction between two agents. And this is different from the I society situation where we are not interacting with one specific person, but we are uh, taking part as members of a group and we are sort of they or uh, we. Uh, so this is a situation where I, they, uh, I take part in a sort of small group or society. So this is the third situation. And then the last one is where I interact with nature, natural environments of various kinds. It's the I-nature situations. Uh, and then if you look at sports, you, you can see that uh, sports uh, fit uh, quite well into this uh, sort of fourfold uh, structure. You have the, the lonely marathon runner, uh, uh, who is an exa example of, of the, the I-me situation, or the gymnast. Uh, all the sports where you uh, are not, uh, it's not necessary to, to interact with other people in the specific situation uh, that you are, that you are into. Uh, these sports are sort of say independent of, uh, of uh, the others and the environment is very often stable or standardized, not always. Uh, and then you have the, the, the team sports, like soccer, like basketball, like volleyball, where it's about being part of a team that you take specific positions on the team, specific roles that you have to interact with others and you have to interact with an opposing team and so on. So these are sort of small fights or wars between teams uh, going back probably to the old uh, uh, hunters and gatherers uh, fights with neighboring uh, tribes. Um, it's a situation quite different from the, the loneliness of the marathon runner. And then you have the I use situation where you look your opponent in the eyes. Uh, it's like in the wrestling where you are very close and then in boxing where you are a little bit uh, there is a little bit more distance and then you have a tennis uh, which, where you have uh, uh, a longer distance between the opponents but nevertheless there is a single opponent there where you have to react to all the moves of the other of the other opponent that is confronting you uh, and then you have the sports where it's essential and necessary that there is a natural environment uh, like in uh, at least uh, 
mountaineering and indoor climbing wouldn't uh, be a good example but mountaineering whitewater kayaking uh, skydiving it's interaction with uh, natural elements and these elements do not react in the same way as uh, the opponent in an iu sport because uh, the river is not fighting back it's behaving according to its rules but um, you have uh, nevertheless to be able to handle surprises also in these sports uh, because there may be unforeseen uh, dangers popping up so we have sort of I call this uh, an ontological uh, scheme because it's uh, situations that are quite different when it comes to how we are, how we we need to to be in this uh, these uh, four different uh, sporting situations. So that's the basic idea about uh, the fourfold uh, sort of model. Yeah, I I have been very inspired of the paper and and I have tried to think through in terms of some of the empirical data I have at the moment like how if and how I could I could maybe use that model to think about those relations in different sports. I think where I'm kind of easily getting stuck is kind of the um, I me and I nature relations are mm. uh because like you mentioned a marathon runner but if we just think of a runner who is running in the forest is is that uh, i me or is it uh, i nature relation and is it about the intention of the runner or how do we kind of distinguish what is the primary relation that is possibly at play over there hmm yeah you have you you will have intermediary cases uh, like um, for instance, uh, another example would be relay, a relay in, in running, uh, four times 100 meter or four times 400 meter. Uh, is that a team sport or is it an individual sport? There is individual runners uh, uh, at each, uh, at each uh, part of the race, but, but uh, they experience it probably as, as a sort of team. So uh, this is an ideal, uh, typical, what I call ideal, typical model. And there will be uh, cases, uh, specific sports that are, so to say, intermediary. When it comes to your question about uh, nature, uh, there is a, a nice distinction, distinction made by Crane or how I am not quite sure. You can distinguish between nature-based sports where for instance like orienteering or running in the woods uh, they are based in a sense on on uh, a sport uh, uh, natural environment but they are not nature directed which is uh, so there is a distinction between nature-based and nature directed nature directed sports are sports where the focus is on handling reacting to natural elements of some kind uh, like uh, skydiving you have to react to the pressure of the air in uh, the river you have as a whitewater kayaker you have to react to the waves the streams uh, the various uh, rocks that pop up and so on 
so the focus is on the natural element, where in other nature-based sports, the, the, the natural element is, so to say, uh, an, uh, a part of a, an environment that you have to handle, but your focus is not necessarily on the element per se. But as uh, but but focused on uh, going as fast as possible or winning or whatever. So, and you can even yeah. divide this further. So, but but there are intermediary cases. But uh, that is also in situations, for instance, in um, in a situation in a team sport, you may oppose a single uh, agent or actor. You may stand opposite a player that you have trying to dribble or you are a defender and you try to oppose the dribbler that's sort of uh, in in a part of the game you are then in a, an iu situation but the overall situation uh, is a, a team situation so there may be specific situations sort of that uh, that come uh, and uh, and that represent uh, a different uh, part of my uh, fourfold model. So, yeah. so it's not clean in that sense. Uh, I think life is in many ways. Our divisions are very often fuzzy with no c- quite clear borders. But nevertheless, you you have so to say some main structures, some main lines to draw. But there will be intermediary cases and and fuzzy borders. And. Uh- because you have also done a lot of empirical research in a more psychological and sociological setting. Mm. And, and if somebody wanted to kind of take this uh, fourfold as, as a foundation for thinking about sport, what would be the kind of things that you think could be done with your foundational work and, and how to build upon it? Well, I would be very interested in testing this model first uh, to interview uh, people in uh, representing the, the four different types of sport and try to find out uh, how they experience uh, the sport, whether uh, this model uh, is really sort of uh, functioning well when it comes to say something about their own experiences or maybe uh, this structure is, so to say, a structure on a deeper level so that they will not consciously experience that uh, they are, uh, say, in a, a team sport, experiencing the team in the same way as I am and depicting it and, and uh, describing it uh, in my analysis. So, so it it would be 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 interesting to see how if if a sort of uh, model developed by philosophical analysis, but also my own experience from these sports, of course, whether that fits very well with with the experiences, the practical experiences of athletes in these different sports. That would be very interesting. Yeah, I think so too. And do you think it's a problem if people don't? It's it's a uh, what you're saying. These are the foundational relations. And people might not recognize them when they start talking about that. Do you think that's a problem or not? Well, I, not necessarily, because uh, it's it's the same way with uh, with Heidegger's philosophy. That, uh, for instance, his analysis of Dasein and and 
Dasein is not the conscious human being experiencing the world, but Dasein is more fundamental. At, at, and people would probably not experience, many people at least, would not experience themselves in the way that Heidegger describes the Dasein's relation to the world, because it's on a deeper level. So to say, it's more fundamental. Uh, it's uh, sort of transcendental, transcendental in the in the same in the sense that Heidegger is showing the necessary conditions that something is to take part on a deeper level. But people need not consciously experience the world in this in this way or the sport in this way. So uh, so we must accept that uh, there are deeper structures, layers. Uh, it's the same. I have also been interested in in the theory, uh, philosophy of mind, and uh, the problem of consciousness. And, and it's the same here. There is a lot of there are a lot of things going on that, that is uh, not conscious, but it's fundamental. It's important. It's a necessary condition for things to happen. So. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a very good clarification in terms of thinking through this model and, and what it represents. I think then it would be uh, quite nice to move to this question about meaning. Mm. So um, what what is meaning and, and what is meaningful experience? That's that's kind of the topic of our, our series of the podcasts. So yeah, let's move to that in Heidegger's yeah. thought. What yeah. is meaning? Yeah. I, I will I will then start with uh, what Heidegger is describing in Being and Time, uh, the situation in the carpenter shop, where uh, things are experienced as pieces of equipment. For instance, uh, if uh, the purpose or the goal, the intention is to build a house, you'll see that the the hammer, the nails. The planks, the building of a wall, the building of the whole house has its purpose, that of having a house where people can live. And the purpose of uh, having a place to live is to lead a life that uh, is meaningful in some sense. But the basic meaning is for Heidegger first that things hang together. They are structured. The, the the nails, the hammer, the planks, they refer, as Heidegger say, to each other. Uh, they have something to do which, uh, with each other. They are pieces of equipment in a context. So when we, we in daily situations, and this, these types of situations are the most fundamental, according to Heidegger. For instance, the hammer. The most fundamental way of experiencing the hammer is not to describing the hammer as a sort of an object with a certain size and color and weight and so on. This is the theoretical and uh, inspection of the world, so to say. But the fundamental way of uh, uh, being in the world is to use things as pieces of equipment in a context and and this relational structure that Heidegger describes very well uh, is also the structure we have in sport, where uh, the ball, the field, the lines, the goalposts, the net, the players, they sort of fit together. They hang together. They are structured 
uh, with a specific purpose, that of playing football according to the rules in order to win a game according to a set of rules. So, so that's meaning in a fund- fundamental sense that things are uh, functioning together, structured in a specific ways with a sort of purpose. And if we move then to the human being in the world, uh, the human being, uh, says Heidegger, uh, has also this concern, as he called it, that we all uh, know that we are uh, living and we know in a deep sense what it is about and it is about to take care of existence in the world and our daily world is structured according to to, to this fundamental purpose of life uh, which may be quite different for different persons of course but the same structure is in because it's all about this deep concern about leading a life uh, and this life may then have different specific meanings, but meaning in a fundamental sense is this structuring. Uh, and an even deeper or, if you want, higher level, uh, Heidegger takes up this uh, in uh, situations where, uh, and this is the second part of being in time, where he takes up uh, the situations where we have possibility to experience sort of more what he calls eigentlich, which is uh, we can live in basically in two different ways. We can find meaning in in our daily lives by doing as all the other people do, Heidegger called this uh, das Mann, we do what all the others do. These, this daily living is uh, full of, uh, it, is, uh, it is not sort of uh, honest living, it's living on a, a very superficial level um, where we uh, are not uh, living according to our deeper and deepest uh, instincts, so to say. Uh, so there are, according to Heidegger, specific situations that where you have the possibility of, so to say, to get in contact with this uh, deepest uh, parts of your uh, being. Uh, it's uh, about uh, finding an authentic way of leading a life and not living uh, superficially and uh, doing what all the other people do, but it's to to finding the deepest uh, parts of your own relation to living. And that's exposed for Heidegger in specific situations like um, anxiety, uh, distinction uh, is made by Heidegger and also other existentialist uh, philosophers uh, between fear and uh, anxiety. Fear is when you fear something specific. Uh, for instance, the bear is uh, attacking you and you, you, you have this specific danger that is uh, approaching you. 
But anxiety is a situation where I sort of say there is no specificity. There, there is nothing specific that's attacking you. It's just something that uh, is uh, impossible to identify and define. And that's what's so scaring. That it's just the, f- the floor is slipping away under your feet and you are, you are falling. Uh, and 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 this uh, slipping away uh, is um, is related then to uh, anxiety and uh, anxiety for Heidegger is especially possible to uh, experience in situations where you have you you are confronting uh, death. It's your own death. It's not dying as a sort of uh, human, general human experience, but it is your death. And we are all the time living towards our own death. And and this uh, experience being towards death uh, is then a way of uh, being confronted with uh, the fear of uh, nothingness. Uh, and 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 uh, that means, of course, anxiety. And. There are also situations that could be possible to to um, develop this uh, honest uh, approach to life, this authentic approach to life. Like uh, he thinks about uh, Langeweile when you are bored, and it could be in uh, specific situations of love and so on. But but uh, anxiety is his favorite example. And I use this in in sports also because in sports you have also the possibility of um, meeting situations not only that are uh, characterized by fear but are characterized by uh, anxiety. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day